Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. The Chase Down Podcast presents A City of Champions, a seven-part series chronicling the Cavs' 2016 NBA championship. With help from fans who cheered against us, reporters who covered it, and the players who watched it, we'll take you game by game through the most improbable 3-1 comeback in championship history. Be sure to subscribe to the Chase Down Podcast to relive the greatest series we've seen in our lifetimes. One dribble steps back, puts up a three, won't go, rebound tip taken by Spades, final seconds, it's over, it's over! Cleveland is a city of champions once again. The Cavaliers are NBA champions. The series begins Thursday, April 9th. Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome, everybody, to another quarantine episode of the New Slant Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck, and this week, our podcast being brought to you by our good friends at Bet Online. So thank you to those guys for helping us keep our lights on in a pandemic. With me, as always, my buddy, my pal, hopefully surviving and staying healthy in the midst of all this, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you doing? I'm slightly hungover, but I am alive, so I will take that any chance I can. I will we I will take that and we the collective we will certainly take that because, you know, nothing is guaranteed at this time. Fighting through a hangover is probably the least of all our problems. Correct. So I guess it was an interesting last, let's say, week, week and a half or so in Sixers World. There's a flurry of donations from various people a lot of charitable stuff going on but the most interesting story of course despite the fact that he did not get hired to this position is our old friend perhaps you could say the namesake of the podcast brian colangelo reportedly getting an interview for it's not the gm job with the bulls but we'll call it the the lead executive position i think the the technical title is like the executive vice president of the chicago bulls he was in the running along with uh the nuggets gm who got hired uh, i believe an executive from the atlanta hawks maybe one or two other people but brian colangelo came out of the woodwork and i guess seamus what was the first thing you thought when that uh that tweet notification went out this week i felt slightly relieved to know that the sixers despite everything that has gone on with them in the last half dozen years are not the worst run organization professional basketball that's either the knicks or the chicago (laughs) bulls so at least i thought to myself there are two teams out there that we could potentially win trades against at one point time in the future and maybe we can even unload al horford or and or elton brand off on these teams because it appears like the knicks kind of won elton brand too yeah so on the Bulls front, like just the on the topic of incompetence, 
I don't know that they get enough shit nationally for like look when I grew up that was like the franchise in the league because of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and to a lesser extent guys like Rodman, Horace Grant, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And that like you bred a whole generation of fans who grew up watching Chicago be great and in theory be a great franchise and everything that has happened since then save for like a few year stretch when Derrick Rose's body was still in working order has just been an absolute disaster and they've had this same management team for forever which was already a problem and then they finally free themselves from this like the the Nuggets GM whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce that they hired is like seems like a well-regarded guy but the fact that Brian Colangelo was in consideration for this position is just like uh, do, do these guys ever learn and that that to me is one of the biggest signs of how ownership matters because the Reinstorf family very clearly has been running that franchise into the ground for, I guess, decades now. And the only respites they've had are when they've had elite talent that they basically lucked into. Yeah, they're terrible. It just, it's, it's impossible that they've been in like together that long in Chicago and... Elton Brand was a number one pick from the Bulls one day, so I wonder if we could trade Elton Brand for a future first-round pick so that the Bulls could bring Elton Brand back home. Well, that doesn't seem very likely at this point, although one of the alleged GM candidates under their new lead executive is uh, reportedly Sixers front office member Mark Eversley, who... I got to tell you, like, I've talked to him, I'd say a decent amount I was for a member of the front office, and I he keeps things very close to the vest. So I don't have a big read on what sort of uh, input he would have in that front office. I know he's heavily involved uh, with the Sixers scouting-wise, at least uh, during Elton Brand's first year. A lot of what Mark would do uh, is get out on the road and, and do some – some scouting things and and help in that regard but i'm not sure exactly what his area of expertise is i just know that he's generally well regarded so elton might not be on the way to chicago but another member of the front office is uh more to the point here i i just i can't believe or maybe i can believe because the nepotism knows no bounds I can't believe that Brian Colangelo was still able to get an interview for a job of this caliber in spite of the fact that the last we saw him in an NBA context, he was attached to the leaking of private medical information, the disparaging of the franchise player in Philadelphia, like active like accounts actively disparaging Joel Embiid, who... As you might know, Seamus is pretty important to the Philadelphia 76ers. And I've been thinking about this over the last few days since this news came down. I don't understand how that is not like a a blacklisting type failure or mistake, regardless of whether he was behind those burner accounts, which I don't think he was. I, I think it was someone close to him, more specifically, probably his wife. 
I don't see how that is a blacklisting thing, not a blacklisting thing, but Sam Hankey not establishing relationships with, you know, agents and people around the league is. And I understand that some of that is connected to the dramatic tanking and everything that comes attached to his name because of that. But, you know, both of those, like, if one is persona non grata, then both should be. And it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I don't know if if you would agree with that, but... Well, it's, it know. speaks to the Colangelo name, and it speaks to the power and influence that Brian's father, Jerry, has had in the NBA for, you know, four or five decades at this point. As someone who has overseen the last two decades, the... Uh, reincarnation of the U.S. men's basketball national team, uh, as well as, you know, he keeps getting Brian jobs. Brian has had, you know, failures, but and same time, weird successes. He's won executive of the year two times. He was, you know, branded as as Keith Pompey. Oh, here we go. This... Seamus Colangelo over here. <laughs> no, I'm saying this is why he keeps getting jobs, because his dad is it's nepotism, and then people think, oh, well, he drafted Sean Marion late. He could just be our GM. That not disregarding the fact that it was 20 years ago stuff like that where teams are so i don't want to say teams ownership groups and nb quote-unquote nba people are so in love with themselves where hanky was an outsider to that world especially as a new age analytical person he didn't come up through the scouting ranks he came up as a you know stanford mba graduate and then worked for um, Daryl Morey, who was always considered like one of the first outsider analytical people in the league. So Sam Hankey scares these people. Brian Colangelo is a sense of familiarity, a mediocre and competent form of familiarity, but familiarity nonetheless. And his relationship with his father and his relationship with his father amongst all the ownership in the league, the league front, the, you know, the league offices in New York, Secaucus, wherever you want to say, it's because of that. It has nothing to do with the actual stuff that went on. And without question, what Brian did was infinitely worse for the franchise than what Sam was supposed to not have done. Yeah, and and what I will say too is before we turn this into yeah, it's not do that. Colangelo is like the the Grim Reaper, and and Hinky can just be absolved of all his mistakes. I will say that the stuff with the relationship stuff in terms of like not just like with agents and stuff like that, but just valuing certain aspects of the job that Sam didn't where he would during these crunch time periods like let's say near the draft near free agency whatever you want to say he would shut himself away and you know there he gained some advantages from secrecy but the people who didn't like what they were doing so like let's say sports radio types like Howard Eskin at the time nationally People like Hoops Critic. Oh my God! The, people. the damn Hoops Critic. <laughs> but so like the critic, not of that Hoops, Hoops Critic was going to be at a Sixers presser or whatever. But the people who don't aren't down with your plan. If you're not interfacing with them, you're not going to get benefit of the doubt from them. And like I was not covering the team during the time that Sam was the GM. But everything I heard from you were a blog reporters, boy. yeah, everything I heard from the reporters who were covering the team at the time is that, like, as an off the record person to talk to, Sam was fantastic, and he would talk to you for an hour, hour and a half about just about anything. 
but would not provide them absolutely anything usable. And so the people who were not on board with that stuff, like this sounds stupid and this is not how I approach like whether someone gets a fair shot or not, but the people who are more access heavy journalists yes. are absolutely, or we'll say quote unquote journalists because they're not really journalists. They're just regurgitating Sims. stuff people tell them. Um, that is going to shape how they view someone. And I think Sam never truly understood that until it was probably too late. And I, I would also speculate, like I haven't talked to Sam about this, but I wonder if that's part of why, like obviously on the league side, on the team side, there's going to be reservations about uh, hiring Sam. But I do wonder if Sam looks back at that and says, well, maybe I just don't want to be involved with uh, the NBA at the GM level. Like I don't really have interest in this anymore because to be able to keep a job and do this job well, I have to do things that maybe I'm not willing to do or that I feel like I shouldn't do. And look, everybody has their, their deal breakers in what they do. So uh, I think that was just always a struggle for Sam to find that balance of, look, you want to have secrecy. You don't want to be Rob Hennigan uh, leaking your draft board through a, a Twitter picture that your team account sent out in Orlando um, or doing radio interviews <laughs> and telling people who you want in the draft, which is like, I don't, that seems to be pretty obvious not to do but I think there's a, a a middle ground between that where you know you keep you keep people in good standing that don't necessarily like your plan while also doing your job well if that all makes sense I, I think there was a way for him to do his job that wasn't quite the scorched earth Correct. path that he took I think uh tagging to the top that new book from Yarn Weitzman uh really laid things out well in that regard yeah like I, and again i want to reiterate the people who let access color how fairly they cover somebody whether that's an individual a team or a league that's bullshit and it's not how journalism and reporting is supposed to work but unfortunately because a lot of these people are on deadlines and a lot of these people are very reliant on access and quotes versus you know like talking about basketball and the relative merits of strategy and different things that's what ends up happening and i i wonder if if you got sam to talk on record now if he would cop to that 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 was a struggle for him but anyway the the bigger story obviously is that mr collars somehow found his way in a job interview uh, i'm wondering like what that conversation was like or if this is one of those you know we do give you an interview as a favor to get your name back out there to your point about uh jerry and the colangelo family's influence if i had to guess that was probably the majority of this is like, sure hey we'll toss you in here as like a favorite of the family because then his name gets back in the nba circles and then okay in three years from now he's able to get a job as an advanced scout or a low-level front office executive and then ideally in their little power struggle you know you know eastern european dynastic rule of the nba that he eventually becomes gm (laughs) in like 25 years and his son uh, his son that played at university of chicago is now 
you know, the Sixers GM somehow. Yeah, speaking of, I think I want to say a couple months ago, Colangelo's name popped up doing some scouting stuff in Europe. So I don't know. I, I wonder how connected he has stayed to the league at large. I, I know I'm sure everybody did not just abandon him and say like, hey, I'm never talking to that Colangelo guy again. And because Jerry is in such a prominent position with USA basketball. There are a lot of people that are incentivized to absolutely keep good standing there. Um, but on the team side, I don't know that that matters that much. And, and in fact, I think a lot of teams would be happy if none of their guys ever played in things like the Olympics or the world championships. Cause it just, it hurts with fatigue and possible injuries and all that stuff. One question certainly about that. Do you think we're getting away from that being an important thing? Like the Olympics. Playing in the Olympics. Yeah, I think we're going to get to the point where it might even revert back to amateur status in terms of basketball players. I know there's a ton of money to be made with it, but it seems less and less uh, likely that the best players in the league actually want to play in that because a lot of players are injured and a lot of players are already taking time off of the regular season from their normal employers, uh, quote-unquote employers. A lot of these players are actually, I would say, more so employers of Nuggie than their actual NBA franchise. But it seems less and less likely that the cream of the crop players are going to be playing in those, uh, you know, international tournaments going forward. It's, it's going to be like a younger guys thing. It's not going to be, you know, the 92 team or the 08 team or the 12 team. I think the time of those types of teams of, you know, those are the type of teams you'd see the whole roster on a poster in a kid's bedroom. I think that's over. Well, so Hold that thought. We're going to take a quick ad break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about USA basketball a little bit. Okay. So I'd like, <laughs> so I'd like to tell you about our friends at Bet Online. With no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball right now, you might think there's nothing to bet on, and let me tell you, you'd be very wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or you can let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. They're all open 24 hours a day, all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. So visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online. Your online wagering experts. So, Seamus, on the topic of USA basketball, I think it's one of those things that probably is going to go in cycles unless they change the rules. Because I think what we've seen now is it went from, you know, when when America took their licks in 2004 and that was a big embarrassment for uh, Team USA and the vast majority of like high-level NBA players, that was, a, I guess, a, a rallying call for the best of the best to step back up and say, okay, this matters to us and we want to go win and win in convincing fashion. And, you know, they had a, that was a dogfight with Spain in the 08 Olympics. And, and even in 12, that was, they played them pretty tight when it mattered. But I, I think you're going to need that to that sort of event to happen where they lose, whether that's in an Olympic Games or World Championships, where these guys understand 
hey, internationally, there are a lot of good teams out there to incentivize them to to want to play. Because I think it's easy for guys who play for Team USA to just fall into the trap of, oh, you know, we even if we send our like C or D team, we can still beat these guys. And I don't think that that is the case necessarily because C and D teams, you're getting down to like, you know, guys like Donovan Mitchell or I'm trying to think of who like the center, like Miles Turner, guys like that who are good, but are not like, oh yeah, we're, they're definitely going to the Olympics and definitely going to win. So, I mean, ideally I would love to see it go back to, even if it's not amateur, set like an age limit. So that you're having, you know, like up and coming guys play. Cause I, personally, I don't think it's all that exciting to watch, you know, like LeBron, Kobe, Wade all at their peak and just like kicking the shit out of teams. That doesn't offer much to me. But if you were to tell me, like in a world where Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons were Team USA players, if when they were rookies or second year guys, they're the ones leading Olympic teams, yeah. that has a lot more appeal to me. Although then again, in that instance, I think you might have a tougher time for international teams too, because a lot of the way they're able to compete against Team USA is I guess building rapport over time and, you know, teams like those old Spain teams between the Gasol brothers, Ibaka, yeah. Rubio, and all those fun. guys over time. Yeah, like they had they had a lot of chemistry that they built over years and years together. And so I wonder if you lose that part of it and the international side suffers. But I, I bottom line is I don't think that Team USA needs to send like twenty eight year old in their prime stars no. to every Olympics. It just doesn't seem necessary to me. Yeah, I agree. It'd be cool to have like a lower tier guys make it. You know, there's what if in I mean the Olympics aren't gonna occur as usual this year but what if tobias harris made the usa team or something that, i mean not that he's you know everyone's favorite sixer but yeah, he's in the pool yeah to me it'd be cool to see a sixers player actually do that because there's never been an active sixer on the team from from my knowledge i guess iverson in 04 uh but iguodala play, was on the team in 12 but he was just traded uh from the sixers barkley was on the team in 92 and he was just traded from the sixers to the suns so it'd be cool to see someone actually in their prime or and you know their midst of their sixers tenure on the squad yeah i think too it's not even just the player interest it cycles i think fan interest probably cycles too like you'll see that 08 year i can remember that was like a big deal especially because all those guys played and then it you get into that you know four to eight year stretch where uh, team usa just stomps everybody and wins everything there is to win and I guess Americans go back to thinking, all right, well, that's just a given. I don't necessarily need to watch basketball in the Olympics. I'd rather watch something maybe with some more juice to it, like the track events, watching swimming, gymnastics, whatever it is in the Olympics. And basketball takes a backseat. So I, I think there's like some American exceptionalism just in the, the fandom too, where people need to feel that fear of being able to lose. I don't know if that's me just – overreading into it but that is how that's how it's felt to me during my lifetime at least yeah i mean i th the the 2012 team was still 
a huge deal, I think, in the twenty eight the two thousand eighteen. But other than that, uh, twenty sixteen seemed like the the first time we weren't getting the cream of the crop. You know, Harrison Barnes was on the team. Uh, Boogie Cousins was there. Carmelo Anthony was the elder statesman who won his what that was his third gold medal and his fourth overall. Yeah, everyone loves to say, and I'm I have He's, been Carmelo Anthony like is an American show. hero. It's like the most decorated American basketball player ever. It's like, yeah, dude, he just so happened to be on two of the loaded, most loaded Olympic teams ever. <laughs> well, this is a and played in. This is a discussion I'll have with Anthony Capelli sometimes, making fun of soccer. Uh, have you ever said Tim Howard is an American hero, or do you know when people say shit like that during the World Cup or the Olympics and stuff on Twitter? Oh, it's even worse when what they call, they have called uh, Landon Donovan, who scored the goal in 2010 to send them to the knockout stages. They've called him Captain America. Yeah, if he's Captain like America, then Carmelo Anthony is Iron Man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Listen, you know I'm a big soccer guy, but I know that's like slightly top, slightly but, trolling because I know that. Oh no! Well, listen. Every part of it's like the people who are big NBA people who tweet this league. Yeah, it's exactly yeah, it's exactly like that. And then all the, the all the like cool soccer fans just make fun of them the same way like us and Kill a Cow and you know Wes make fun of those like oh the NBA is drunk right now. Go home. <laughs> yeah, listen. Every sport has their. Uh... Their stupidity in some form or fashion. The only one that I can't really ever jive with is wrestling, but I'm not going to go on my anti-wrestling yeah. well, I, kick I, this morning. I don't like wrestling. I never liked it as a kid, but I always defend it as someone who, like, everyone has, like, the dumbass things they like. Like, I love comic books and comic book movies and right. sci-fi. Like, that's, in a way, a kid's thing. Like, in a way, like, if you love, you know, fantasy baseball, isn't that, like, a kid's thing to a degree? Like, just let people live. I don't know. People seem to really right. enjoy like, it. Like, I love... Exactly. Like, I love video games, yeah. and there are quote, plenty of people who be like, quote, oh, that's unquote, a kid's, kids habit. Thing, yeah. yeah, right. So I, I can't get on people too hard for liking wrestling. What I can get hard on people for is a report that came out of the city of New York, <laughs> Seamus, that uh, former agent, now Knicks executive, Leon Rose, is interested in Elton Brand for the same job he has in Philly with the Knicks to be the Knicks GM. Um, I obviously reached out to people about this. The Sixers declined to offer a comment, but I and I'm paraphrasing here. What I was told from speaking to a few people was the the typical line of "We're very happy with the job Elton Brand has done here." Uh, he we'd like to note that. He is still under contract past this season, so that that was a an important reminder that the Knicks could not hire Elton, barring the Sixers either firing him or the two teams, you know, coming to an agreement that maybe they'd exchange Elton somehow. But I guess it's very hard for me to assess Elton as a, a GM because there's so much baggage with the Sixers in terms of their front office setup. You have all the, like part of the reason Elton is hired to begin with is because they wanted to leave the rest of that front office group in place. And they didn't have, let's say the the caliber of GM search they maybe should have during that off season where they had probably uh, one of the, yeah, probably one of the best openings in the league in 
I don't even know how long, maybe a decade, maybe longer. Certainly the the best Sixers GM opening that has ever existed in my lifetime. Um, and so, you know, and then the ownership group is also heavily involved with, you know, day-to-day operations and, and how things, how decisions are made as many ownership groups are around the league. And so I, I kind of struggle, even as someone who I, I would like to consider myself fairly plugged in, I struggle with how much blame or how much credit to give Elton for the various decisions they've made during his two years as GM. And I wonder on the outside, like how much teams are dealing with him and how much of an impression he makes versus what he's actually doing and accomplishing. It's sort of a hard thing to figure out. Uh, conspiracy shame is putting his hat on right now. Do you think the Knicks are, Ooh, I like are trying to woo like Leon Rose and Elton Brand? Leon Rose uh, was formerly the agent of Joel Embiid. Do you think the Knicks' endgame here is to eventually recruit Joel Embiid to the New York Knicks? It's certainly possible, and I, <laughs> I think you never put past – anything or put anything past the Knicks sure trying to lure free agents and failing miserably although you know with Joel showing some discontent with the owners recently if Joe wants to leave I don't blame him this team sucks these people suck (laughs) Joe made it right with the owners in terms of you know they they teamed up for that big donation they made recently to help out he's gotta hate them uh, antibody testing but well like Let's set aside the ownership thing. If you look at what they did as a front office last summer and the impact it's had on Joel, where he's had to share the front court with Al Horford instead of, you know, he grew accustomed to playing with, even last year, with Tobias Harris at a four. Prior to that, he's got uh, Dario Saric. He's got Ersan Ilyasova, even to a much lesser extent, obviously not a good player, but Mike Muscala there, where it's a guy who your job is just you're going to stand in the corner on the perimeter and be an outlet to shoot threes, essentially. And Joel has, you know, he was pretty vocal about the fact that he loved playing with a guy like Ilyasova. They went after Bielitsa, I think, partially because of that. That rat snake fuck. (laughs) So there's a very clear type of player that Joel likes playing with that you know, bringing Horford in essentially guaranteed that he was not going to play a lot of minutes with those type of guys. So I could understand him just being frustrated from that perspective because he's already trying to uh, juggle things, play next to Ben. It's not an ideal setup as we've talked about many times here and elsewhere. And now he's got this extra thing to deal with. So, you know, I, is Joel unhappy right now? I don't think that's necessarily the case. Is he the happiest he could be? Certainly not. Is this a situation where maybe in another year of frustration, two years of frustration, he says, you know what, I've just had enough and and I want out of here? I think that's certainly on the table and a possibility. I'm not trying to – I'm certainly not reporting that, hey, Joel Embiid's about to demand a trade or anything. You heard it here first. Number one most trusted source, Kyle Newbeck, a Philly voice. (laughs) It's just one of those things that you constantly have to monitor when it's a player of that caliber that, you know, if he walks into that front office tomorrow and he says to Elton Brand or someone else, like, I want to be traded and I don't want to be here anymore, that, like, 
the whole organization is flipped upside down. So, so certainly that component of uh, Rose's connection to Embiid and Rose's relationship with Elton Brand, if we're, that were to transpire, that would be something that you always have to keep in the back of your mind. Yeah, it's sad that we're going to get to that point, probably. I, I would like to hope just for you know my sake of covering an interesting team and uh, quite an interesting player in Joel, uh, the fan base's sake, just like everybody's sake, that they figure this out here over the next, you know, I don't even know how many months because I don't know if the season's coming back. I don't know when they're going to have the draft. I don't know when free agency is going to happen and trades are possible. Uh, but you know, I, I hope they figure out a better way forward than actually that's a good segue. Seamus. So the report came out that uh, the draft, the teams are hoping to push it back to August. Maybe that leaves them an opening to, uh, to come back this season. I guess, do you think it helps or hurts the Sixers uh, in terms of, you know, evaluating the roster if they bring the season back? Or do you think we, they and we should just know what their weaknesses are and what they need to do this offseason without having to finish it out and, and play the playoffs. It's the best thing for them. Obviously, the best, best case scenario is they come back and just win the championship. But other than that, the best thing for right. the future the future of the franchise would be to come back, like get crushed in the playoffs like they likely would in the second round or quite possibly even the first round. Realize that the Horford and Beat experiment doesn't work. Attach whatever sweeteners you need to go get Horford off his contract, like off of off of the team and get his contract somewhere else and potentially even fire Brett Brown and bring in a new coach and reevaluate how you want to build the team around Ben and Joe. Because my fear is that because we didn't get to see him in the playoffs, they convinced themselves, well, we never saw Horford in the playoffs. He could have been a stopper. He could have turned it on. Let's give him, a, let's run everything a, another year back. Let's bring Brett back again and let's just do this season of crap 2.0, run it right back. We wanted to run it back last year. I do not want to run it back again. So I agree with you that I, I think that that's an easy trap to fall into. Uh, I, I do think the writing's on the wall for Brett. I think the the person that most needs the season to come back is Brett Brown because I think unless they bring the season back and they go on like a finals run, I think that that's the easy – I don't, I don't, I don't like using the word scapegoat because I, I think Brett certainly uh, has blame in where things have gone, and saying scapegoat makes it sound like I'm trying to alleviate his contributions to the season. But I think he's the easy person to point to. It's like, okay, we changed the head coach. We can, you know, maybe not make any more major trades or adjustments to the roster as they have every season the last few years. And we'll figure this out with a, a different coach that maybe is more offensively creative. But I do think that, to your point, Seamus, I, I think if they don't get that playoff run and they don't see – and maybe it does go the other way, but if they don't see that Horford doesn't work in a playoff format with this team, I do think that they could easily convince themselves, like, well, we built this team for the playoffs – and we never got to see it there. I think there's too much baggage with Brown to stick with him because, and mostly I think it would be a really tough sell to the fan base who I think has grown really weary with Brett. Deservedly overall. so. I don't, think, I don't think you can sell the fan base on, you know, last year it was, look, you lose on a buzzer beater. 
with the team that had been put together mid-season to the eventual title winners, and all the players came out and stumped for Brett. And so that was a situation where I could see them, you know, that was a sensible thing to do to see what would happen with some more stability, even though they changed the roster again. This year, I don't think you can make that case. I don't think it's a thing where you say, no, we still don't really know with the coach. I, I think it's more likely that would happen with the roster. And that honestly is just as dangerous to me like, because the the bottom line is regardless of what you feel you can't change or what you feel you still need to see is you're spending another year of Joel Embiid's peak years and, and Ben Simmons, maybe not peak years, but like right below peak years trying to, you know, experiment around them instead of building a team that makes sense. So that I think is probably the biggest danger of the season being canceled is ownership. And if the front office remains in place, convincing themselves that, you know, they never really got a chance to, to see this group under a, a, a different, a different coach and in a different setting. And I, I think it's certainly reasonable to fear that outcome if they don't bring the season back. You know what that reminds me, this false sense of thinking, is that the Celtics still have never lost a playoff series when Rajon Rondo, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Kendrick Perkins were all healthy. Still all these years later, they they still have never lost a series. No team has ever milked a single title more than the 08 Celtics team. Losers. It's unbelievable. Like, listen, I think that team was very. They were. Good. They were very good. And I think if, I think if Garnett doesn't get hurt in 09, they probably go to the finals, back to back. Because uh, I think they they would have beaten that Lakers team. They would have. Well, they they lost though, to Orlando. Didn't even get there, you know. Right. So I, I think if Garnett doesn't have issues, because like, I, I think the record that year up until Garnett getting hurt was something ridiculous. It was like forty and. I'm just making this up. Maybe like 40 and eight or something like that. So they were, I mean, I'm holding it to cruising. it. Cruising. Yeah. I mean, I can look it up at some point, but they were very good. Um, still milked the title a little more than they should. Uh, have. I think. <laughs> uh, okay. One last thing before we get out of here, we always like to talk about the loser of the week. I don't think we're doing that segment this week, but the, the namesake for the loser of the week award, Rudy Gobert Obviously, a big part of the coronavirus NBA news cycle. And on top of that, re-entered the news cycle this week thanks to a, a three-man report from The Athletic. I believe it was from uh, Sam Amick, Tony Jones, and Sham Sharanya. Can I make one point real and, quick? I looked it up. Yes. The, that Celtics team was 41-9. and nine. You were hella close. I was very close. Look at that. So, you know, I just want to point out that as much as I – can get things wrong sometimes. My memory works in mysterious ways. Uh, okay, so this report from the three-man athletic crew on it, it essentially took people through the behind-the-scenes stuff of the Utah Jazz dealing with coronavirus. The fallout that night is a really good story. I'd recommend reading it if you have a subscription to the athletic. But the uh, the upshot of it is there's a section about. Gobert's relationship with Donovan Mitchell, which essentially they claim that prior to uh, the coronavirus fiasco, those two were pretty close. They have lockers next to each other. They're obviously, I I would say, the two most important people 
on that team in terms of Utah being relevant. And within the story, I'll, I'll just directly quote it. Uh, it says, quote, the Jazz have already begun working on the Mitchell-Gobert relationship, but sources say Mitchell remains reluctant to fix what might have been broken. It doesn't appear salvageable, one source with knowledge of the situation said. So, and that's so end quote. And that's with the knowledge that Mitchell also tested positive for coronavirus after Gobert was very, uh, we'll say haphazard with his approach to I guess, washing his hands and touching lots of things. There were lots of reports that he didn't really take all this seriously up until the fact, up until the time he got sick. So those two, I guess, two normal can enemies they, of the can podcast. Can they make it work together? <laughs> those two enemies of the podcast, I guess we now have to say that Donovan Mitchell is at least a frenemy of the podcast because he now might hate Rudy Gobert. Here's a question, Seamus. Would Donovan Mitchell work on the Sixers, assuming they don't trade either of Simmons or Embiid to acquire him? Uh, off the court, no, I guess, because I'm sure Simmons and his the clutch sports crew is who I think pull more weight in the Sixers scene. <laughs> I'm being serious uh, than people might realize. Uh, but on the court, isn't he like the guard they need <laughs> that we've been looking for? Sort of. I do wonder not, not if that, he's like, too much of a gunner. Like, not the most perfect fit ever, but he would be a tremendous upgrade at that off-ball guard spot for us, for, for the team, right. not for you. I can say those. No, I mean, like, at least for me, I, I think Donovan Mitchell is generally seen as, like, a good guy who's willing to talk to the media, so I'm sure he would help me out in that respect. Uh, but, I like, from a pure basketball perspective, I think you're right. I think... You know, some of the complaints this year have been, well, why don't they run pick and roll more? That's been a constant complaint over the years. But, you know, when their best option is Tobias Harris, who I think is he's good or at least decent as a pick and roll guy. Josh Richardson is decent, like erratic, I would say. There are games where he just sucks in pick and rolls and there are games where he looks like the greatest player who ever lived. I think Donovan Mitchell would easily be their best pick and roll player if they were somehow able to execute a trade and then that makes life easier for somebody like Joel Embiid it takes pressure off of Ben Simmons who you know on the other side of that could be like that'd be a great screening partnership if Mitchell has the ball in his hands running pick and rolls and and Ben's rolling to the rim and we've obviously seen they've had some success doing that with Richardson and Harris this year um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I think it'd be pretty impossible for them to pull off a trade unless that is like a, a nuclear toxic situation where the Jazz just have to cut bait at some point. Because I, I, I think that, you know, as much as this is a very splashy report or, or quote, I, I think Utah will probably, you know, take some time to try to figure that out and maybe wait until after the coronavirus pandemic has slowed down before they give up on on those two as a partnership going forward i just think it's very funny that you know they're supposed to be the the jazz twitter loves those two and now this has like turned them against one another it's been beautiful to see all the utah fans just have an slc dunk stinks well i so i was on you know i'm trying to i try to stay in touch with what different fan bases think about 
different reports as they come out beyond the people who are just like, well, that's fake news. That's not uh, true. Yeah, well, our of... jazz team, we have like 2.5% beers. <laughs> so I, but I do try to see what their general reaction is. And there are a lot of Utah fans who are holding this against Mitchell. It's like, man, this guy tested positive for uh, an illness that is killing people. And, you know, maybe it didn't actually harm Mitchell that much, but that means he couldn't see or be around his loved ones. And that impacted his life dramatically. And you look at how Gobert treated that situation where he's rubbing reporters' microphones. I'm sure he was doing similar things in the locker room. It it would be hard not to at least temporarily resent someone like that. So, you know, that's typical. I can't quite put my finger on... uh, What's happening there? But I'm for once I am on Team Donovan Mitchell, and I never thought I would say that. Yeah, what a world! <laughs> all right. So on that note, I think Seamus and I are going to wrap this up for the day. We thank you all as always for tuning in. If you haven't for some reason by now, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us some five star reviews, and you know if there's anything you want to hear us talk about during these crazy times feel free to chime in on twitter you can you can dm me you can email me you can reach out however you want to and uh perhaps seamus and i will talk about it on the show so thank you everybody for listening we'll talk soon see you guys nobody builds 5g like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.